This is the Victory Podcast. Every week, we'll share an inspiring message about God's grace and forgiveness for you, wherever you're at in life. Your victory starts now. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for for bringing us here today, whether in person or online as well. We ask that you would bless this time together. Probably all have different expectations of our time right now, but just pray that we'd all center on this, that our expectation would be that we would see you, that we would meet you, that it would change us for the good, and that that would be a blessing to many people, and that you really would receive the glory and honor that is due your holy name. Pray this. In the powerful and saving name of Jesus, amen. As many of you know, a couple weeks ago or so, another congregation asked me to be their pastor. They didn't know what they were asking for, did they? One of the things that happens when you get a call is you you start to think about your gifts and your strengths and your weaknesses and all that and, and where all that can be used for God's best service, right? Where that can all happen. And so what happens is you really kind of become really introspective and you start thinking about me and about I and my strengths and my weaknesses and all this. And it, when I was doing all that, I thinking, I found out a lot about me. A lot, not very good. So today, as we continue our series, David, the Imperfect King, I'm, I'm going to ask that, that all of us here, that we would all take an eye exam and see if what afflicted David might also be afflicting us. It's a whole lot there, so let's just jump in and, and get going, okay? From uh, Book of the Bible, 2 Samuel chapter 24, it says, Once again, the anger of the Lord burned against Israel, and he caused David to harm them by taking a census. Go and count the people of Israel and Judah. So if we just take that at face value, right? We can see there's a lot of tension there. This is not what we're really expecting from God, right? God's anger burned against them and God caused David to harm them. God caused David. We don't, we're not used to that, right? In fact, if we look at this same account, though, in a book of the Bible, First Chronicles, what we see is it says is that Satan incited David. So again, there, there's tension. Who's doing this? Is it God? Is it Satan? You know, is this maybe a, a case where, you know, like with Job, Satan and God are, are there together and God uh, allows Satan to do these things? There's real tension going on. But you know what? That, that's really all a, a smokescreen to the real tension that's there. The real tension is caused because the people sinned along with David and kept on 
sinning. See, that's tension. We don't get it so much because you and I, in our culture, we often will tolerate sin. There's tension here because God is the opposite of sin. God is not okay with any sin, whether it's my pet sin or yours. Okay. So into this tension we go, and it says, so the king said to Joab and the commander of the army, take a census of all the tribes of Israel from Dan in the north to Beersheba in the south, so I may know how many people there are. But Joab replied to the king, may the Lord your God let you live to see a hundred times as many people as there are now. But why, my Lord, the king, do you want to do this? Okay. Joab. Hey, here's the backstory on Joab. He's not only the commander of the army, the general, he's got a past. Okay. Uh, Joab is a murderer. We're not talking about the, the battlefield and war and things like that. That'd be a different discussion. But Joab is a murderer. He has murdered people in cold blood, including one of his cousins. And so Joab, just picture that, Joab has a really dull conscience, okay? Joab's conscience is as dull as a, a butter knife, right? And Job is actually conscience-stricken over what David is requesting. The guy with no conscience is going, oh, no, we can't do this. And so David and you and I must understand this is a really, really bad, bad idea. It goes on, but the king insisted that they take the census. So Joab and the commander of the army went out to count the people of Israel. Having gone through the entire land for nine months and 20 days, they returned to Jerusalem. So kind of like our census, took almost a year, all right? Joab responded to the number of people to the king. There were 800,000 capable warriors in Israel who could handle a sword and 500,000 in Judah. Okay. Now, we're not told explicitly what the issue was here, but implicitly it's really clear, okay? David wants the number of people counted, the number of warriors counted, so he can gloat over how big his kingdom is, uh, how far the kingdom has gone under his leadership. So the, the mighty people, the mighty warriors that he trained, that he was responsible for. And so the, the number here that's really important is not so much the 800,000 or the 500,000, it's the one. David. David was filled with pride. God had delivered him. God had done all the battles and David is saying it's about me. He's filled with pride. Pride is so easy to spot when it's in other people. Right? The most obvious form of pride is narcissism. There aren't all that many narcissists, but there are a few, right? These are the people who really do think that they are God's gift to humanity. 
They are superior than others. Uh, They are just flat out better than others. Their ideas are always the best. They dominate conversations. They interrupt conversations. They never can celebrate the successes of others. If anything goes wrong in their life, if they make a mistake, it really isn't their fault. Someone else is to blame. Again, not... Many people suffer from narcissism, but here are some other ways that we show pride in our lives. One of the ways that we show pride in our lives is when we get in a a conversation with someone and and we one-up them, okay? Uh, Maybe they went somewhere on vacation, uh, but we went here. Maybe their, their kids did something great, but our kids did this. Or maybe you're on the other side of that conversation, right? And that's just so gross. Another way that we show pride in our lives is when we get into a disagreement or an argument. It could even be with someone close in our family, like a a spouse or a a child, or or maybe it's outside of that, a relationship at work or something, or maybe it's someone from a different political party, but we we show our pride as we get into this disagreement or argument because we know who's going to win. We are. We're not going to change our mind. We've already got our mind made up. We know that we're right. We may concede along the way that that's a good point. That's kind of maybe a different way of looking at it. I can see where you got that, but, but I'm sticking with me because I'm right. Another way that we show pride in our lives that that maybe we haven't really ever thought of before is, but if if you've ever given advice to God, if you've ever thought that God should act in a different way than he's acting, don't you think that's a a little bit of a stretch? If you've ever thought that God is unfair, Another way that we can sometimes exhibit pride in our lives is we never ask for advice or help. We're the ones that we're used to serving and to ask for help. We don't do that. That's pride. Another way that pride maybe shows up in our lives that we aren't so used to thinking about that way is our insecurity. When we look around, we think, oh, I'll never be all of that. We compare our lives to other people's lives and and we just feel bad. We look at our past accomplishments and we think they're really no big deal. And we struggle. We struggle in our insecurity to, again, celebrate the successes of others. And our self-esteem is determined by our latest performance or what we think of it. You know what's right in the middle of the word pride? I am. I is right in the middle of pride. I, and I mean I, I don't struggle with pride. It comes quite naturally to me. 
Just easy. I wake up in the morning. It's all about me. What do I got to do today? When do I got to be there? And this, how this all going to fit out for me? The decisions that are made, how is this going to affect me? It comes, unfortunately, so easy to me. And here's the thing. And you know this too, but here's the thing. Pride will try to snuff out our compassion, our empathy, and our love. Pride fosters division and disunity and jealousy. Pride will lead us to miss out on opportunities. It will take away peace of mind from us. It will cause us to lose friendships and intimacy. It makes us feel superior and judgmental. We get isolated, so we're not accountable. Pride not only threatens to ruin us, but to kill our very soul. So David is exhibiting this pride. The census is taken. And this is what happens next. But after he had taken the census, David's conscience began to bother him. And he said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly by taking this census. Please forgive my guilt, Lord, for doing this foolish thing. The next morning, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Gad, who was David's seer. This was the message. Go and say to David, this is what the Lord says. I will give you three choices. Choose one of these punishments and I will inflict it on you. So Gad came to David and asked him, will you choose three years of famine throughout your land? Three months of fleeing from your enemies or three days of severe plague throughout your land? Think this over and decide what answer I should give the Lord who sent me. I'm in a desperate situation, David replied to Gad. But let us. See what he did? It was my fault, but let us fall into the hands of the Lord. For his mercy is great. Do not let me fall into human hands. So the Lord sent a plague upon Israel that morning and it lasted for three days. A total of 70,000 people died throughout the nation from Dan in the north to Beersheba in the south. The plague is going rampant. David makes his choice. God follows through on it. 70,000 people in 72 hours. David's decision to take the census leads to the death of 70,000 people and all the grief throughout all the countryside. I know that, that some are thinking, wow, the loving God did that? 70,000 people in three days. And if you're thinking like that, I just, just realized, I don't know about you, but for me, I can't make it through an afternoon 
without feelings of selfishness, envy, jealousy, and pride. I deserve to be judged and I'm gonna try and judge God. I need to work on me, not on him. And part of working on me is seeing that all that I have, all of it, I don't deserve any of those good things. Goes on. But as the angel was preparing to destroy Jerusalem, the Lord relented and said to the death angel, stop, that is enough. So 70,000 people have died. There's still apparently some time in that three days. The death angel is right at Jerusalem, the city. It is the biggest city. And right there, God relents and says, stop. And thank God, the angel stops. Stops just outside the city at a man named Aranaz place of business. He was a farmer. It's at the threshing floor. So for that, that is usually like an elevated platform and they'd get like the wheat on top of there and they would beat the wheat, strike the wheat. Sometimes even oxen would walk on it and tread on it. And then they would throw it up in the air and the chaff would all blow away and the grain would fall to the ground. The angel of death is right there. When David saw the angel, he said to the Lord, I'm the one who has sinned and done wrong. But these people are as innocent as sheep. What have they done? Let your anger fall against me and my family. David is now able to see the sin issue that's in his life. And what's, what's key for you and me, as Pastor Ben mentioned just a, a few weeks back, that in one way, shape, or form, we're all leaders. Maybe we're leaders in our company, uh, leaders in our neighborhood, leaders on a team, leaders in our family, leaders in our, our small group of friends. We're leaders in one way, shape, or form. And what we learn, right, is that when leaders make a decision, there's a ripple effect. It can be a good ripple or it can be a bad ripple. But when leaders make a decision, there's a ripple effect. That day, Gad came to David and said to him, go up and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of R&R, the Jebusite. The threshing floor, the very place where the angel stopped. Gad says, mark that spot, mark it, build an altar there. And on that altar, you will sacrifice an animal that will represent taking your place. Represent paying for your sins to remind you that one day, God will send the Savior into the world to not only pay for all of your sins, but all of the sins of all people, including those who think that God doesn't know what's going on. It's not that brilliant. Including all those who think that God is unfair 
and unloving. In other words, what the prophet is saying is mark the spot where the judgment of God and the mercy of God are going to meet. So David went up to do what the Lord had commanded him. When Aranah saw the king and his men coming toward him, he came and bowed down before the king with his face to the ground. Why have you come, my lord the king? Aranah asked David. David replied, I have come to buy your threshing floor and to build an altar to the Lord there so that he will stop the plague. So David comes with this uh, unusual request. He said, I, I want to take your livelihood from you. I, I want to buy your business out right now, you know, and I'll, I'll just pay you full price. Aranah says, take it, my Lord, the king, and use it as you wish, Aranah said to David. Here are the oxen for the burnt offering, and you can use the threshing boards and the ox yokes for wood to build a fire on the altar. I will give it all to you, your majesty, and may the Lord your God accept your sacrifice. He says, you can have it all. I love God. I love you. This isn't a problem. What I have is yours. Use it. You're going to use it to glorify God. I'm in that. Do that. Do that. That would be cool. But the king replied to Aranah, no, I insist on buying it. For I will not present burnt offerings to the Lord my God that have cost me nothing. So David paid him 50 pieces of silver for the threshing floor and the oxen. David says, no way. No, I appreciate it, but no way. How can I offer a sacrifice when there is no sacrifice on my part involved? Paying you full price. And David paid full price. And then David built an altar there to the Lord at that spot and sacrificed burnt offerings and peace offerings. And the Lord answered his prayer for the land and the plague on Israel was stopped. And again, when we look at this section as it's recorded in the, in the book of, of First Chronicles, what we understand is that this spot, the place where the altar is built, that spot is where Solomon, David's son, is going to build the temple of God. That temple where animal sacrifices would be brought in to represent the payment for sins. That, that spot, in other words, the, the temple, the place where the judgment of God and the mercy of God meet. And all of that, all of that foreshadows another place just outside of Jerusalem too where they erected a middle cross that Jesus was crucified on. The real place where God's full-on judgment met God's full-on mercy. The place where Jesus was judged for my sins and yours the place where you and I receive the mercy of God. 
And how did all that happen? By choice. Jesus' choice. It says of Jesus in Philippians chapter 2, who being in the very nature God, okay, unlike us, unlike David, being all of that, <laughs> who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. God, very God, almighty, glorious God, doesn't think about himself. He thinks about you. And humbled himself. And became obedient to death. Even death on the cross. And since that is true. That God thought about you and me and not himself. Since that is true. What only makes sense is that we too follow the words of Philippians chapter two that says, in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. I don't know about you, but I came to find out I really need to work on I, my heart. See, through the Holy Spirit, active in our lives, we can, through the Holy Spirit, we can choose to be more humble. We can choose to be inspired by Jesus and all that he said and did. Through the Holy Spirit, you and I can choose. When we get into those disagreements and those arguments, you and I can choose to listen without digging our heels into the ground, without formulating our counterpoint. And listen. And love. Maybe even learn. Through the Holy Spirit, you and I can choose to put other people and their accomplishments in the spotlight, to put them first, to cheer on their successes and let other people know about it. Have you ever considered, you know, what, what we see as so Wonderful in other people's lives. Humility, the acts of service. We don't like that feeling so much in our lives. 
It's not appealing to us. And the very thing that drives us nuts about others when they're showing pride and all of this and all their accomplishments and all that, that's what we want. Humility leads to gratitude. As I was deliberating the, the call to the other congregation, and I, I truly believe this, I truly believe that I, I really was and am thankful to be here. But what I realized is there's a whole nother depth there. I am so blessed to be here. This is all, you are all, a gift from God. Blessings. Gratitude leads us to see that our blessings are given to us by God so that we can go and bless other people. We, we don't have to worry about being tight-fisted or stingy with our gifts because God is the giver. His resources never run out. You know, over the last week or so too, I've received at least a handful of calls of people wanting to know, how can I bless someone else? God has given us these blessings and we need to bless someone else. Who, who can I bless? Humility. Like Jesus. It leads us to the lowly places. Humility like Jesus, it, it takes us from the starring role of our story. Humility like Jesus puts other people first. You understand, right, that when you help other people succeed, you aren't actually less valuable. <laughs> You're actually more valuable. When you humble yourself, you realize that what God is doing and that his mission is far greater, far greater than you are. How'd you do on the eye exam? Here's a way to, to kind of give us a guide as, as we go forward. When people look at you and me, do they see you and me? Or do they see Jesus? Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for all the many blessings that you've given to us. Ask that you would forgive me for being the poster child of pride. And that you would lead me and all of us to be inspired by Jesus. To love you because you first loved us. And to serve 
the Victory family, the Victory community, our community and world at large. And like Jesus, have fun doing it. God, may you receive all the glory and honor that is due your name as we humbly serve you by serving one another and our world. Pray this in Jesus' name, who humbled himself for us. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Victory Podcast, brought to you by Victory of the Lamb in Franklin, Wisconsin. For video sermon archives, more information about us, and to let us know how we can meet you where you're at, go to victoryofthelamb.com.